This podcast may contain explicit language, which is distinct from shall, and in point of fact, as to this specific episode you're about to hear, actually does not contain explicit language. It's Friday, July 22nd, 2022, from Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. A day after the January 6th commission concluded its hearing schedule for the summer, a nice button was provided by a D.C. jury. Steve Bannon, recently indicted but then pardoned on fraud charges, faced contempt charges for willfully defying a congressional subpoena. Bannon, or as I call him, Bianon, sought to argue presidential privilege and also wanted to call Nancy Pelosi, committee chairman Benny Thompson, who knows who else to testify. The judge in the case, Carl Nichols, prevented him from arguing that and denied a trial delay and, of course, denied a dismissal. Faced with all these setbacks, Bannon's lawyer asked the judge, quote, what's the point in going to trial here if there are no defenses? We got to see the answer to that question with the defense that Bannon did mount here as described on ABC. And the Bannon team also saying that they thought the date was flexible, that it it wasn't a hard deadline, even though uh, the language was clearly stated in the documents and letters that they sent to Steve Bannon. This was the, oh, I thought it was a suggestion defense. No, it was a subpoena suggested and subpoenaed, both are three-syllable words starting with S, but that wasn't strong enough to convince the jury. It's a shame. I thought it had a chance. So we're booked for the 19th? Booked? Oh, no. I thought you were just floating a date. No, you have to be here on the 19th. Nah, you don't mean it. We do mean it. You couldn't possibly. How could we convince you? How about a court order? Nah, I still don't mean it. How about we charge you with a crime? Nah, wait, are you saying I should pencil you in for the 22nd? Now we've started the trial. You've been stripped of your defenses. We are telling you we mean the subpoena. Well, okay, of course, there's still some wiggle room before it goes to the jury. To quote the Associated Press, Bannon's lawyers tried to argue during the trial that he didn't refuse to cooperate and that the dates, quote, were in flux. The jury deliberated for less than three hours, as if they were honoring a hard out to beat weekend traffic. Thus, we learned of the real distinction between a suggestion and a subpoena, reject a suggestion, and it could lead to more and more discussions, conversations, and the exchange of who knows how many words reject a subpoena and the law mandates a two-month sentence. On the show today, I spiel about just one of the stumbling blocks for the then president to redirect the energies of those ransacking the Capitol. What would my character say in this position? But first, there are 13 human beings alive who have served as Attorney General of the United States. Well, for more than two weeks. My guest is one of them. Stuart Gerson was Assistant U.S. Attorney General under George H.W. Bush and then Acting Attorney General in the opening months of the Clinton administration. He has been watching the hearings, and he has also been urging the DOJ to prosecute the former president. Stuart Gerson lays out his case next. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. 
And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Yesterday, the January 6th committee gave us more evidence that Donald Trump exhibited extreme indifference to the maraudings of a dangerous mob. Indifference became active resistance to any sort of, let's say, legal term, de minimis intervention in one of the darkest days in U.S. political history. Joining me now is someone who's been watching and monitoring these hearings and has come to an earned conclusion. His name is Stuart Gerson. He was an assistant attorney general for the Civil Division of the Department of Justice from 89 to 93, acting attorney general in 93. He is one of the authors of a piece along with two other highly credentialed lawyers. The DOJ must prosecute Trump. Mr. Gerson, welcome to The Gist. Hello, Mike. How are you today? I'm well. If you had the benefit of seeing yesterday's hearing before you wrote that article, what details do you think would be in it? Um, I don't think it would add any, any details to the putative case that we lay out, but it's helpful. I mean, what what uh, has been shown with uh, uh, yesterday's last evening's uh, uh, revelations uh, is uh, not only Nero uh, fiddling while Rome is burning, but throwing some uh, uh, gasoline on the on the on the fire while the while the fires were were blazing away. Uh, uh, to talk about uh, Trump's uh, indifference, uh, his failure to perform his duties. That kind of detachment and, and indifference and, and callousness is not a crime. It's 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 uh, malfeasance of office. It would have been grounds to uh, to uh, impeach him for a third or fourth time, however, however many offenses you could you could find. But it's part of the tableau. I think the much more uh, important uh, testimony came earlier. And uh, this adds to it. This confirms a lot of what's going on. Uh, uh, for example, one thing you didn't hear last night was any rebuttal from the Secret Service or otherwise uh, of uh, testimony that had been given earlier uh, by Cassidy Hutchinson uh, and uh, also what what we know of uh, uh, Pat uh, Cipollone's testimony as well concerning what Donald Trump was doing. But uh, uh, whether you whether a competent prosecutor could win a case like this before a jury uh, in the District of Columbia or elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the key uh, evidentiary issue was proving intent. And I think we now have overwhelming evidence that Trump had intent to engage in a seditious conspiracy, to defraud the United States out of its election results. And if you look at the, at, at the, the whole tableau, and we don't just look at, at January 6th, you look at what, what has gone on in the weeks before it, and we have to talk about the conduct in Georgia uh, and in Pennsylvania, where Trump, again, is, is directly active in attempting to uh, uh, defraud uh, the electorate of, it, of, its, of its vote. So the key evidentiary issue is showing intent. I want to follow up on that. You, as a person who has presented cases to D.C. juries, you would look at the new evidence that we found out about that that 
the attorney general may have already known, but you would look at the new evidence, which yesterday's theme was the indifference and throwing uh, throwing an accelerant on the fire once the mob had already taken over the capital and what and was doing damage. What you would do as a prosecutor is not to claim that in and of itself shows anything, but it's almost like a pointillist portrait. That combined with what we know beforehand, with what we know of him possibly getting into the beast and trying to mm, do whatever he did to convince Secret Service agents to let him go to the Capitol. It all adds up to a picture that goes to intent. Is this what you're saying? Yeah. So, well, you've proved that you know and like the pictures of Swarah. Yes. But this was no day in the park. That's right. No day in the park. And and, uh, when you stand back from from the dots, that make up those pictures and you get a, a, a reasonable vantage point. Of course, you see something that, that looks like a photograph. Your eyes adjust and, and uh, you get that level of detail. Uh, and uh, uh, as I say, it, I, I don't view uh, uh, the conduct from, from the standpoint of a, a potential prosecution. I don't, I, don't, in, I don't view that as indifference. It's not indifference where you're tussling with the Secret Service um, uh, and, and uh, uh, where where there's at least some level now of, of of apparent corruption with regard to what the Secret Service was maintaining with regard to the to these emails and other other documents that somehow have have disappeared that shows there's something to cover up and what there is to uh, what I, what I think there is to 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 cover up uh, is the confirmation of what Cassidy Hutchinson had to testify and of course you've heard no live testimony in front of, of in in front of the one six committee that in any way. Uh, diminishes the veracity of uh, Hutchinson, both as to what she actually saw and to the larger amount of information that she was told. Uh, admittedly, that's hearsay, but now uh, it seems, uh, at least constructively, it's been it's been it's been confirmed. So that I wouldn't focus on arguing about indifference. I, uh, certainly, you could make the case that Trump is callous, and and that uh, that callousness led has led to the death of. of of, of individuals and the abuse of the of, of the Capitol Police. Uh, but you have to look at, at the larger pattern. So we stand back from that pointless painting. And uh, what do we see? We see that weeks in advance of 1-6, not only do you have Trump urging some of these whack job reactionary groups to come to Washington and, and, and uh, take over the Capitol, but you have a pattern within the government of actually preparing to remove uh, career people who could put a stop to illegal activity from their jobs, reclassifying positions, uh, 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 putting together a list of individuals uh, who would be loyal to Trump, the Jeffrey Clarks of this world, dimwits who, who, <laughs> who for the sake of power, can, can be manipulated uh, in, in, into what, in essence, would be uh, overthrowing the elected government of the United States. Uh, and for the success of this conspiracy, you want to show overt acts and furtherance of a conspiracy. And you've got plenty of them. And then you get to January 6th. And it isn't a question of, 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 of just indifference. It's, it's Trump urging the people on of uh, uh, acknowledging uh, that uh, they, they have firearms and that's OK and that he wouldn't be at risk in going up there because they're for him and against the, the, the people who would be at the at, at, at the point of the gun. Uh, you have him wanting to go up to the hill to lead this conspiracy. He's a, he's a part of it. He, he is intimately in, involved in it. 
So from a prosecutorial standpoint, you write in the Atlantic piece, Trump continued to facilitate the insurrection. Is it the case? I'm sure you would try to prove that it was his intent all along. But even if you couldn't get over that hurdle with some of the jurors, even if they had a question in their mind, well, when he went, when he wrote the speech, did he want what we saw? When he stepped off the stage, was it his expectation or desire that there would be a breach of the Capitol? But if you can prove that at some points along the way, even if it wasn't the first point, that he did continue to facilitate what was going on and what he saw was going on, is that proof enough that he was um, that he was spurring on the insurrection? Yeah, I mean the simplification of the point that you're raising is the question: Can you join a conspiracy after it started, even if you didn't start it? And the answer to that is yes. Right. And so all of these different moments, everything the committee is laying out, are different if you want to look at it as a from a prosecutor standpoint, are different entry points for even a skeptical, you know, a rightly skeptical juror who was taking into account the burden of proof to say, okay, but at this point, he clearly was facilitating the insurrection. Or maybe I'm not buying it points A, B, C, or D, but by points E and F, I can, there's no other explanation other than he was facilitating the insurrection. And that in and of itself is a conspiracy. Yeah, except I wouldn't use the word facilitating. I would use the word participating. Mm -hmm. Right. And because that's that to me is what he was doing. Now, would he have defenses? Sure. I mean, there, there's no trial that's a laydown, uh, except perhaps this this thing that's going on with with Bannon in, in the in the District of Columbia. But if you know, if we assume that uh, uh, Trump would take the stand and say, uh, uh, "I really won the election, and I'm saving the republic by by making sure that I that I'm uh, kept in office." You know, could you stand up uh, as a prosecutor and say, "I'm sorry, that's not what the evidence shows." Uh, and uh, the answer is yes. Is this a, is this a case that can be brought in good faith uh, by the United States? And the answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors have to take into account if their case is winnable. They have to take into account who the jury is going to be. And you also, you and your co-authors also, given even given that, it still argues for a prosecution. You think it's a winnable case. I think what's happened, I mean, if, if, if I were going to look at this in day one, let's suppose I was still the attorney general, we're sitting in the chair, I would be disinclined as a matter of theory ever to prosecute an ex-president of the United States. Sure. That's in the guidelines. Yeah. That's what they do in banana republics. Uh, uh, you, why make a martyr out of somebody who was defeated at the polls, who there's opposition already coming up? Would, would I... Would I do that? I'd, I'd start with a presumption, with a strong presumption against doing it. Uh, and I know that I'm not going to get an admission from from the ex-president as, as, as to what his intentions were, that that's what you would debate about. Uh, the devil's advocate would say, well, all these things were going on and uh, he might have been for them. Uh, that might have been beneficial to, to him and his self-interest, uh, but he didn't have any intent uh, to uh, to uh, hang Mike Pence or, or to storm the Capitol or, or uh, you know, his, his intent was to just to stay in office, not to do these to do these things. Uh, OK, well, now I'm hearing evidence. Evidence is coming to me either directly through to what the uh, uh, U.S. attorney is doing or I could be monitoring what we haven't talked about, which is a very solid potential case that's being uh, 
uh, investigated in the state of Georgia uh, by the attorney general of Georgia, a real problem for Trump. The same thing could be included, by the way, in the seditious conspiracy argument. Right. Uh, but so I would I would be looking at this evidence. And now with the one six committee and what's coming out, Hutchinson is just an example of it because everything she said is being corroborated. There's been plenty of of, of testimony from other subordinates. And there's there's just a ton of stuff that we haven't seen and heard yet. But at least we know about on a, on a hearsay basis uh, uh, that people like uh, Kinzinger and, and Liz Cheney and others have, have, have been developing. Jamie Raskin has been doing a, a, a very fine job on this that show that Trump himself is committing acts in furtherance of a conspiracy. And that's understood on both sides of it. It's understood by him. And it's understood by these uh, pseudo crypto military types uh, uh, with with uh, buffalo masks on uh, that are storming the Capitol. So in your piece, you talk about risk and reward and you write the damage to America's future that would be inflicted by giving him a pass in terms of prosecution far outweighs the risks of prosecuting him. I want to ask you about a different calculation. What is the risk reward of the damage that would be done of a failed prosecution? Well, I mean, that's for the for the attorney general to consider. And you would consider it in light of the fact that uh, two impeachment uh, efforts of of Donald Trump also failed. Uh, So that's a consideration. What shifts the balance, in my view, uh, is that we need deterrence here. Uh, because the same kinds of arguments are already being made in primary elections that are occurring just this past week. Uh, you can expect them in the by-election uh, later this year and then uh, in the presidential election of, of 2024. We can't have this. Uh, in, in, in many ways, it's arguably the second greatest challenge that the nation has ever faced. The first, of course, being the Civil War. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I am not somebody who believes that we're on the brink of, of civil war, but we are on, on, the, on the brink of the serious disruption of our constitutional form of government in a way that is detrimental to all Americans, uh, irrespective of, of race, creed, color, economic status, you name it. Um, this is a, a critical moment in how we want to govern ourselves uh, now and for the future. Uh, is it something where uh, a, an assistant United States attorney or, or an official of the Justice Department can stand up uh, in front of the judiciary and say, uh, this is our case. Uh, uh, we present this in, in, in full faith, uh, and uh, we believe that this is something that you can and must decide. That case can be made. I agree that there are countervailing considerations. Uh, I know and respect Merrick Garland. Uh, we're friends, uh, uh, and, and uh, he is a, a quality lawyer and a, and a, and a, a, a fine man who's done many charitable things in his life, things that you will never know about, but that have affected the society greatly. Mm-hmm. It's a tough decision, but I think that the, the balance has now shifted. Stuart Gerson is in a position to issue the proclamation as per the headline of his Atlantic article, the Department of Justice must prosecute Trump. He once ran the Department of Justice. He was also assistant attorney general for the civil division. He's now a member at the firm Epstein, Becker and Green. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you, Mike. And now the spiel. 
Donald Trump has a hard time with a few words, Thailand, scourge, and I'm sorry. But yesterday, we learned about another one, thanks to the January 6th committee. The day after the insurrection, President Trump stood before cameras and tried to find the perfect message. They don't make a hallmark card for, so I see you've committed a felony at my behest. So sorry. So Trump workshopped his words with his daughter, Ivanka, giving advice off screen. I would like to begin by addressing the heinous attack yesterday. Yesterday is a hard word for me. Ah, uh, good. Take the word yesterday because it doesn't work with. It doesn't work with a president incapable of reflection, regret, compassion, the ability to consider the circumstances of anyone other than himself. Trump is just not good at looking back and saying so. But the weird thing is, he is, of course, one of the greats when it comes to to singing his regrets. No one belts out a tune of sorrow and reflection like the golden-throated chanteur Donald Trump. And now, for a limited time only, KTEL's Super Sounds of the Presidency presents Donald Trump Looks Back in Sorrow. It's Donald Trump at his most contemplative. You'll get folk, you'll get ballads, you'll get torch songs, and you'll get the sweet, soulful harmonizing of slow jams at their best. So hard to say goodbye. Yesterday, yes, on Donald Trump looks back in sorrow. You'll hear my heart will go on more than anyone can realize, and nobody ever talks about how everybody hurts. And of course, tears in Kevin McCarthy. And this upbeat number that was once used by a Clinton, but perfected by a Trump. Don't stop. stop. Thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. Better than yesterday. Yesterday. Yes, it's Donald's most wistful memories of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. You'll get so many songs, you'll not stop to wonder why advertisements like these group the years and decades, and then just boom, lay a 22-year period on you and call it today. But this isn't about today, this is about yesterday. And no collection of Donald Trump looks back in sorrow would be complete without this classic. Yesterday, all my trouble seems so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, okay. I believe in yesterday is a hard word for me. A lot of people tell me operators are standing by. They won't last long, not as long as the Trump challenge coin or the Trump defense fund. All purchases are tax deductible, so long as the IRS doesn't issue a very unfair audit. Act now, unlike Donald Trump after the Capitol was breached. Order, Donald Trump looks back in sorrow, or you'll be sorry you missed out. 
And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is The Gist senior producer. Michelle Pesca coordinates listener services. And while she can't interact directly with everyone, she does raise a fist in your direction as you assemble behind the barricades. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash thegist. Oomperoo, gperoo, dooperoo. And thanks for listening.